Tom Savage of Three Red Kings. Tom, uh, the Autumn Series came to an end over the weekend and it came to a winning end for Ireland with a convincing win over Scotland. Uh, and you know, We've kind of been here before with Scotland kind of coming over, you know, threatening to do X, Y and Z and kind of not fulfilling or living up to the promises. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Eddie O'Sullivan has taken a bit of a heat, bit of heat after the game on social media because uh, he, I think, rightfully described Scotland as being a bit soft. Um, delusional, perhaps. I mean, Stuart Hogg was talking about maybe Scotland controlling 70 minutes of that game, which I think is generous. Um, rough, it was roughly on half that, I would say. Um, but, yeah, it was a good win for Ireland in the end. Um, Scotland looked very good at times in that first half. But uh, I felt Ireland, once they got a, a, a little break, uh, I think there was a, a moment where uh, Hugo Keenan and Jacob Stockdale made a bit of a mess of a backfield defensive set um, or a backfield kick management uh, set, left huge space there. Jacob van der Waal kicked right back into the Irish 22. Scotland infringed uh, on the Irish five-metre line with a needless tackle in the air on Bundyaki. And that gave Ireland the impetus to... Go up the field. Um, Duncan Taylor got a yellow card a, a, a few minutes later after some very good face play from Ireland. And uh, yeah, from there, Ireland just kind of took advantage. They scored a penalty. They went and got a try. They, um, uh, I'd say, won the game really in, in that middle third of the game and just saw it out from there. And, uh, you know, there won't be any cartwheeling in the streets, even as Ireland have been slipping over the course of the last two seasons we 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 we've beaten Scotland fairly consistently by that measure losing to Scotland would have been a disaster for Andy Farrell but they've managed to avoid that so they'll go into the 2021 season knowing that they've got ground to catch up on France and England but relatively happy with the year overall I would say uh, Tom, I suppose uh, haven't we always really had ground to catch up on France and England when you when you think of the of the the resources, the player numbers, all that sort. I mean, you know, any time that we've been competitive or ahead of them, I think you could you could almost say that we've overachieved in those instances. You know, I mean, the odds are stacked against us numerically. The odds are stacked against us with regards to the to the playing pool and 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 to what the French and English clubs can draw on. But uh, you know. Is it is it time for maybe Irish rugby fans to have a, a small dose of realism to say, well, okay, well, look, you know, I think Sexton made the point that we've we've won every other match this year, bar England and France, and in both instances we were we were on the road. So, or in all instances, I think in, in all three we were we were on the road in those games. And I mean, any team would struggle to go to Twickenham and beat this England side uh, and currently any team would struggle to go to France and beat this French side. So mm. where's the balance between where things are going wrong for Ireland and maybe having more realistic expectations from Irish rugby supporters? Well, I think it all goes back to that night in November 2018 when Ireland beat the All Blacks. I think when Ireland took on the All Blacks in that game in 2018, I know it was two seasons ago, and to take on uh, the All Blacks in that game and then beat them with the you know suppo- you know number one in the world on the line, we'll suppose for for, for in, in that moment, not a World Cup, but you know a, a, a big game nonetheless. That I think raised expectations of an Irish team who'd won a Grand Slam earlier in the year, who had beaten Australia in Australia in a series that year. Also, that kind of changed expectations, and Ireland have been judged against that year ever since. And it's difficult to live up to that. 
like you said there, like France, I think, had been a basket case for much of the 2010s. I'd say, from you know, Ireland started I, I, looking to try and beat France home and away relatively regularly for the majority of the 2010s, really. Yeah, and I think we were, we were relying on them remaining that basket case. And there was always that caveat that if they did get it together and if they did manage to get structures and if they did manage to you know, get a coaching team in there who could get instill discipline into these rugby players that they had at their disposal, that we weren't just going to have to be, you know, looking towards beating England every odd year that we had them in, in, in Lansdowne Road for, 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 for a Grand Slam or for a, for a Six, Six Nations Championship. But now with France to, 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 to deal with as well, we've been, our, 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 our problems have doubled. Very much so. Uh, you look at the, the like the, the early and mid two thousands, the nineties. Ireland, you know, coming up against France usually meant a defeat of some kind. Do you remember Croke Park in two thousand and seven? Like all the way through the like the the two thousands, France were this huge obstacle for Ireland. And you know, I, I think when you look at the money that came into the French game, which was always there anyway, they started to sign a lot of guys, and I think that made it difficult for them to bring through a consistent line of talent. They made a few bad coaching hires that were obviously bad in 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 hindsight, but under Fabien Galtier and and Sean Edwards, they seem to have gotten real coherence. Remember, this French side is after bringing in uh, two. Uh, like one under 20 world championship I think two under 20 world championships I think but a lot of talented players coming through there that they've they've just put straight into their test side like you uh, Antoine Dupont uh, on a uh, young uh, Antemac a few other of these guys as well Demba Bamba and there's other guys as well who we haven't even seen yet the likes of uh, you know uh, Jordan Joseph uh, you know these guys are they've got a, a so much talent you know and I think they're their second, I suppose, a second and third selection, you might say, taking on a full-strength England team, pulling them all the way, it's ominous for what Ireland are to expect uh, in the Six Nations going forward. That said, Ireland will have England and France in the Aviva Stadium this coming spring. Two huge games. Ireland will look to win at least one of those. They'll be looking to win both of them. But, you know, if you come away with two losses there, all of a sudden, I don't think people are that happy with the idea of Ireland being back to being number three at best in the Six Nations. Yeah, I Ireland think I think that. satisfaction for Irish rugby fans really is to win the three away games, which again, going to Murrayfield, Cardiff, and Rome is no easy task. But to win the three away games, and and you know if you can win the first home game to put yourself in with a shout of 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 that championship weekend or championship winning weekend, then I think you know. Not saying that the Irish team is, is is on a massively upward curve, but at least we're showing that we're remaining competitive, and I think that's all you can ask for when you go back over the over the years of the results in the Six Nations for Ireland. And you also have to remember as well that I suppose this has been flagged for a while, and you only have to look to the Champions Cup record of French teams travelling over here in recent years. There was a time when you'd have French teams who, you know, might be disinterested, might not travel, you know, might just throw their hat at a, at a Heineken Cup, Champions Cup weekend when there wasn't a whole lot on the line. But that has changed. And we've seen the likes of Racing come over here and turn Munster over, give us very, very difficult games. And, and I suppose that kind of mentality now has, has fed through to the national side in France and has presented yeah. itself as a problem in the Six Nations as well as in the Champions Cup. Yeah, look, it, it's it's reminiscence of the early 2000s again, really, isn't it? You know, you look at the way that, uh, you know, like Munster this year have, have Claremont. Um, that's going to be 
a, a very big series of games against a, a good Claremont side. Um, you know, Munster have faced Racing 92 very regularly over the last few seasons and, you know, landed a few shots here and there. But overall, I think Racing got the better of, of, of those jewels, I would say. Uh, it, it's, it's, you know, it's very difficult. You know, Irish rugby really does have to pick resources from everywhere. And we're going through a very important contracting cycle right now where I think, you know, Ireland might be looking at what France have done and looked at the way they've backed their, their, their like their young guys to come in and play important roles straight away. Like you look at Dupont and Demac, you know, you look at Jelly Bear at the weekend as well. Another guy who's come in and, and, and played a big role. They're looking to, to, to duplicate that, I would say. Um, because that Irish under-20 sides of the last couple of years have won Grand Slams. They won one la- uh, the year before last. They probably were on the way to winning one this year prior to COVID um, coming in and changing things up. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of potential there for Ireland. There's a lot of young players to come through. And there's a lot, a lot of guys at the senior level who aren't washed up by any means. But it's a big contracting cycle that all plays into what we expect from Ireland going forward. I noticed you'd say big contracting cycle and lots of the rumours about whether or not the IRFU are going to have the resources to keep some of these guys at home. Um, it is it is probably the most important contract window that the IRFU have faced in a long time. And with such uncertainty around the game, you would have to you would have to question what is going to happen over the next few months, especially looking forward with the Irish international side. And I mean, look, it probably... With with Munster not having as big a representation of internationals in the Irish matchday squads, it's probably a bigger problem for Leinster than it would be for for Munster right now. Yeah, like I, I think just my my own thoughts on it. If it's true that there's going to be a Pro 16 next year, I think all teams are looking to try and reduce this test window. Um, and with that become comes a, an opportunity, I suppose, which will hurt some teams more than others to reduce your squad size. I think the IRFU, all the unions, I think, the union back teams, even all the the, the teams that are non-union in uh, in the Gallagher Premiership who aren't you know union-backed or whatever, will be looking to see if they can reduce their squad size. Uh, the Irish sides have had to have large squads uh, in, in the Pro 14 because the majority of the, the winning of a Pro 14 is done during test windows. But post-COVID money is very scarce if they get an opportunity to see where they can cut costs relatively speaking across the board if it means that you know very little test match rugby means you don't have to have as big a squad there's room to to cut maybe five or six guys some teams will find that easier than others Uh, a team like Leinster uses their depth very it's probably their biggest strength I would say their depth their ability to wield one, two, sometimes even three really, really strong sides. But I think the days of, of you know, Irish provinces and others like wielding, you know, maybe 50-man professional squads during a season, I think that's something that is an easy target for to be reduced to try and reduce costs, you know, because I think the IRFU spent a lot of money this year keeping everything going. They may look to try and go, well, look, we need to start building our cash reserves back up. We need to cut costs. So they may look at, well, maybe we'll try and keep as many of the top guys as we can, invest in the younger guys. And then it's those guys who are kind of in middle of the road depth chart that could be in trouble that they may look at and going, well, thank you very much for your service. We, we, you know, we, we can't contract everybody we'd like to. And, you know, that could be that for some people who are on the bubble of the international, of the international side and who might be, you know, north of 26, 27, 
and guys who are middle of the pack in their, you know, for we'll say for Heineken Cup selection, who might not be close to, you know, who could be just depth players in a certain position. So I think Munster are, would be quite well set with regards to investing in clear, obvious talents who are there, who are, you know, young, who are emerging this season and showing they can be top players. It would be more difficult elsewhere. Like, you know, Leinster will have, if they had to have a squad reduction, for example, in this hypothetical scenario, I mean, who, who, do, you, who do you keep? Who do you let, who do you let go? It's, it's, it's very difficult. And you can see just quite a bit of heat coming on David Nusifora in the press. I've seen a few guys in the Irish Times, Gordon Darcy, a few other fellas have real cuts off um, David Nusifora as of late. So you, it just gets the feeling that there is some bad news for somebody coming down the track. And you just wonder what kind of landscape will we, will we be looking at in, a, in, a, in, a, in even a month or two with regards to contracting. Yeah, I suppose with the proposed uh, Pro 16 and the introduction of South African teams that has been discussed for quite some time now, um, also kind of running concurrently to this is the uh, English Premiership and their bid to kind of ring-fence that league, which kind of closes that door to the Welsh clubs. And uh, it, it does put them in a kind of a strange position then in that they're... they're um, their 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 I suppose faraway hills being greener option is is gone from them and they 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 kind of have to come back to the pro fourteen or pro sixteen or whichever guys it takes up next year. Yeah, it's that idea of an Anglo Welsh is generally only floated when the English clubs want something from either the Irish provinces or somebody else if they're throwing around that idea oh look we're going to make an Anglo-Welsh it doesn't make any sense I think the Welsh realised they made a big mistake at the start when they were offered a way into that league chose to reject it for whatever reason I think some of their fans well I, I don't think I know some of their fans definitely regret that decision but I think it's something that you know you look at the what a Pro 16 might be able to do like the big, the big uh, South African provinces uh, or, or teams, whatever you call them, I think they're a really, they would be a really strong addition to the Pro 16. And I think that you know, if you had a situation where there was less Test match rugby, which I think is the biggest problem that any everybody has with, with, with the Pro uh, 14 as it stands. Like I quite like those games. I like seeing young players get their opportunity. But for the you know for the likes of Glasgow. Who are just you know, or, or Edinburgh? Look, I've, I've got no love for Glasgow, but they've got so many guys at the international camp. They can barely put out a team out because you know every every team has got a few knocks. So they're throwing out very inexperienced setups, and they were beaten by Dragons at home there recently, or like at the weekend. So you look at the Welsh clubs are the same, where they've got you know talented young guys, but they're getting blown away by like you look at the results Leinster have had recently against. Edinburgh, for example. Edinburgh brought over a team. They had like two scrum halves on the bench. They had a few injuries, a lot of guys away internationally. And they show up at the RDS and they just get pumped. That doesn't really do like, you know, Irish, you know, who doesn't love watching their team winning every week? But for the other guys, that starts to lose. Like that, that, like, th- that is not fun very quickly. And those people start to lose a bit of interest, kind of go, look, the balance here isn't fair. We can't compete with these guys. So it just ends up being, we'll throw our hands up in the air at it. Like, so I think one way to, to, to rectify that would be, well, look, let's just have less test window games so you can play your stronger sides more often. There's a bigger games. The games have more recognizable players. It's a better TV product in theory. And th- th- that, I think, would be something that could help the perception of the league and you know help cost because it might make for smaller squads. 
Yeah, uh, just moving back to the aftermath of the Ireland-England game for one minute, or sorry, the Ireland-Scotland uh, game for one minute, and uh, I suppose Johnny Sexton's post-match interview and some of the uh, coverage in the aftermath of that. Um, look, like I said earlier, he did put a bit of perspective on it when he said that the only two sides we lost to this year were, were, were France and England, and I suppose, you know... <laughs> With a new coaching setup, with a lot of guys probably coming towards end of their career and, and, and some starting to blend into the squad, you could be you know, you, you could justifiably argue the case to give Andy Farrell a bit more time to kind of to find his way in this role. But you know, the the criticism over and back are are, are, are the, the back and forth between Sexton and the media. Uh, personally I don't see a problem with it. I mean you know, the media are entitled to have a shot at Sexton and to criticise him for his performances. And I don't see why media organisations or journalists should be, uh, you know, um, I'm not saying they should be fanboys, but I don't see why they should be um, immune uh, from criticism going back the other direction. Or not even not even direct criticism, but, you know, the player coming back with uh, an alternative view or, or his opinion of their t- on their take. Yeah, look... Look, it's, he- it's healthy debate. You know. I, yeah, look, I, I, I don't see a problem with it. Look, I am a professional fanboy. I'll just come right out and say it. That's my like. That's my gig has been doing content that's related towards Monster. I criticize Monster when they don't perform well. I criticize Ireland when they don't perform well. When Johnny Sexton talks about like the media not liking certain bits and pieces that they're doing, I think like that the media are correct in saying that Ireland haven't played all that well against Georgia or England. I think if you were coming out and saying, oh yeah, Ireland played brilliantly against Georgia, forget the haters, that'd be delusional. Ireland didn't play well. To criticise them there was legitimate. But you look at the way that, uh, what the way, Johnny, uh, the way Johnny Sexton would be thinking about this is, that they know what they're doing in the camp, they know what they're trying to do, that might not always translate across in the game itself. But he wants to stick up for the, the squad, he wants to stick up for his teammates. So when he sees guys slating them in the press... He's the kind of combative personality where he, if he gets a chance to put a shot back on people who he feels are criticizing him unfairly, of course he's going to do that. But it's one of those things where you kind of just have to suck it up, really. If you can write a column saying that, you know, Ireland are doing this, that and the other wrong, and he's coming out and saying, well, I think you're talking shit. Like, you kind of have to take that as just part of the gig, you know, because like... Uh, do we want a, a, a media world where we, we keep hearing how, how nobody likes these pressers because everything is so anodyne and everything is so like you know so stale and so boring? If he wants to have a shot back in a post-match presser because he feels some fellas have wronged him, more power to him. At the same time, there's this weird idea that the rugby media doesn't criticize the Irish rugby team. And I think it, I'm not sure where it comes from, but I see it in my mentions every now and then on a big day after Ireland have lost. Oh, the media won't criticize the Irish rugby team because it's all some sort of cozy cartel. I can guarantee it absolutely is not a cozy cartel. There's lots of guys criticizing who don't like the criticism that they get in certain papers or from certain columnists or whatever else or on the TV. They don't like that. And, you know, you, you know, you just look at what Jacob Stockdale said recently about reading some stuff both on social media and elsewhere, about going, shit, I don't like this at all. It's a, a, a balancing job, I suppose. You know, everything that you criticise, you'd have to hope that you'd say it to the person if, if they brought it up to you. It's going, hey, look, you, you, you were saying this. What are you talking about? You'd, you'd, you'd hope that you could at least go, well, this is what I think, X, Y, and Z. And they can say, well, you're talking shit or whatever. It's just one of those things, I think, that 
I think we'd be better off for it if there was a bit more back and forth like that. And, you know, I had a conversation with Sinead Kassan there on, on, on Twitter on Saturday, whenever the game was. And she said that she's asked kind of, you know, questions that players haven't liked. And we've seen that in, in, in pressers where she has. It's not unusual. And I think more of it is needed because I think I like the idea of a relationship being more of a back and forth between the players and the media. Some guys you'll get on with, some guys you won't, just like life really. Yeah, and 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 it can be I suppose it can be combat combative and you can have a bit of niggle in it while at the same time being respectful. And you you know, you don't have to agree with everything people say, but you know, so long as it's done in a matter where, you know, you, you, you give a shot, take a shot, then I don't see the issue with it. Yeah, because like, honestly, like a player might have a, a, a mic in front of his face for two minutes in a week. Meanwhile, there's columns, there's radio segments, there's online posting, there's all this stuff where they could be criticized left, right and center all week long. And they only may get a mic in their face for 30 seconds where fellas are asking him, oh, how did you get on? You know, how did you feel the game went? You know, whether they won or lost? Well, I'm happy we won or I'm sad we lost. And they may feel, well, look, this is my shot now to go. You don't like what we're doing, but we think we're progressing quite well. You know, I, I, I can't blame a player for wanting to have a shot back if he feels that people have been unfair to him. I don't know why Johnny wastes his time with it, really. I think, you know, it, it just creates a kind of a needless where he's creating enemies for himself, but he seems like the type of guy who likes that. He likes to have that needle with somebody. If it's not with a player, if it's not with a rival, it's with the media. So I think it's just kind of, I like it, you know, more power to him. Uh, Tom, uh, we do, of course, have Champions Cup coming up soon for Munster, but we'll look at that later on in the week. Um, uh, tell us about what you are going to be doing ahead of that game, ahead of that team announcement between now and the weekend. Well, I'll be looking at some of the uh, young performers that have been in Munster during the week or during the season to date, seeing how they have scaled up from maybe the expectations at the start of the season. I'm also going to be building up with the Red Eye, the Blood and Thunder Master Preview podcast for that game against Harlequins coming up this weekend. And trying to predict seeing how it might go for Munster. So it's going to be very interesting. Um, so that's on patreon.com forward slash Kings for as little as two euro a month.